0: Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you.
1: We're going to pray that the spirit who inspired Paul to write these words, the spirit who is so prominent in this text, will now open our hearts and minds to understand, believe, and live according to these great truths. As we so often do, we're going to sing our prayer. Let me invite you to open your hymnal to numbers 388 through 390. We will begin by reading in unison the text that we just heard read, which is assigned to the worship leader in this hymnal. And then we will sing just the first stanza of 389, and the marked stanzas of 390. Let's stand, please, and begin reading together from Romans 8. If Christ is in you, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. the story goes that a simple illiterate man was converted through the ministry of the Salvation Army, and so he began to regularly attend the camp meetings of the Salvation Army, came home from one of these meetings feeling kind of low, and his wife asked him what was the matter, and he said, well, everybody in the Salvation Army wears a red sweater, and I don't have a red sweater. He said, well, okay, I'll I'll knit you one. So she knitted him a red sweater, did it in a week. He went back to the next meeting, came back home, still feeling kind of low. And she said, what's the matter now? And he said, well, everybody else's red sweater has some yellow writing on it. He didn't know what the writing said because he was illiterate. and She was illiterate, too. Um, She said, well, I'll put some yellow writing on your sweater. Now, I don't know if you know what the motto of the Salvation Army is. Anybody know, just out of curiosity? Cross cross and and fire, or blood and fire, blood and fire. Blood for the blood of Jesus, fire for the Holy Spirit. That's what they had in yellow on a circle uh, on their red sweater. So she, um, not knowing what else to do, looked a store sign and stitched those letters on his sweater. He wore it to the next meeting. When, she, when he came home, she said to him, well, how do they like your sweater? He said, they love my sweater. They said that my sweater was better than their sweaters. And what they didn't know was that she had stitched on his uh, red sweater under new management. <laughs> now, I have a feeling that the Apostle Paul would like that story. Because in Romans chapter 8, and it's been five weeks now since we looked at the first paragraph of Romans 8, we, uh, we read about new life in Christ, and uh, there Paul says that if you are in Christ, you're under new management. You're no longer governed by the flesh or the sinful nature. Translations differ. You're no longer under that management, you are now under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8, verse 4. Not only did God's Son die for us, God's Spirit lives in us. Not only is there no condemnation, there is new power for living. Not only is there justification, there is sanctification. So that the righteous requirement of God's law is fully met in us do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. We're under new management. And the next two paragraphs flesh that out. That's our text for today, Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. You may want to have your Bibles open to it again and follow as we look at this fleshing out this further development of the idea that uh, we live according to the Spirit. Uh, Look at verse 5 of Romans 8. And if you are a Christian, take this personally. This is a vital truth about your identity, who you are. Those who live under the old management, the pre-Christian self, the old sinful nature, have their minds set on what that nature desires. They think about, fix their minds on, are preoccupied with what the flesh desires. But those who live under the new management, according to the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. They think about, fix their minds on, are preoccupied with what the Holy Spirit desires. Imagine that you work in a fast food restaurant. And... The management has surveyed its customers and concluded that what people want is fast food fast. They don't come to this establishment expecting ambiance or uh, gourmet meals. They want their food quickly. And so there is a clock on the wall by the drive through window. When somebody places an order, that clock is set at 3 minutes. And you know that if you don't want your knuckles wrapped by the management, you will have the cash in the drawer and the food in the bag and hand it out the window before that clock ticks down to 0. And uh, around 10.45, 11 o'clock in the morning, you uh, remember that the lunch hour rush is coming. And so you make sure you have a pile of napkins handy and you put some extra fries on, and you ignore that spill of grease on the floor. That, that can wait to be cleaned up later. All day long, you're thinking, fast food, fast. That's your mantra. Then the business is bought by a new owner for a fortune. We can imagine that he bought it with his life's blood. And now the management wants a different kind of operation, a classy sit-down establishment where quality is the new mantra. You're not trying to beat the clock anymore. Now the silver has to be polished to a shine, the linen has to be spotless, the perfectly cooked food presented elegantly and hot, fries are not on the menu. How do you know what the new management wants? Well, He'll tell you. He might even give you a book with everything you need to know. And he'll say to you, I want you to have daily quiet times in this book. Understand what I want, and I'll be right here to help you. And your spouse remarks on the change in your routine. You say, you know, the new boss, who I really like by the way, has uh, told me to study this book. So we read this Spirit-inspired manual, and we find the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, the new management wants me to love. We read in John 15 that the Holy Spirit is sent to focus our attention on Jesus and to bring to mind everything that He taught His people. And uh, we think, okay. Uh, the new management wants me to do everything in a way that pleases Jesus. Those who are controlled by the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit wants. He's pretty gracious. This new management. Uh, he doesn't boot us out if we blow it sometimes, or don't perform perfectly, but day by day we learn more and more of what he wants and we want what he wants. Now one problem with my illustration is that there's nothing really wrong with running a good fast food operation. But there is plenty wrong with living according to the sinful nature. It is hostile to God Paul says in verse 7. It does not want to and it cannot submit to God. It is incapable of pleasing God. Even when it desires good things like health, food, and family, and leisure, and learning, and sex, and money, uh, the sinful nature desires these things in inordinate amounts or at the wrong time or with the wrong people or for the for selfish reasons and that's why Paul says that the flesh the sinful nature the old management cannot please God. Now that doesn't mean that non-Christians can't do anything right. Of, of course they of course they can. Love their children. Serve their community. Volunteer uh, to serve their country, maybe even lay down their lives as, uh, as heroes. A while back I read a story about a couple visiting Chicago who lost their wallet in the cab. $200 in cash, all their credit cards. Uh, make the story short, the cab driver went to great lengths to locate them, meet them, give them their wallet back, and would not accept a reward of any kind. And the twist, at least surprising twist for some people, is that the cab driver is a Muslim who hopes that Allah will reward him for doing good. So, of course, non-Christians are capable of doing good things, but even when they do so, if the deed is not done for the glory of King Jesus, God is not honored by it. This, Paul says in verse 6, is a kind of living death. The mind of sinful man is death. It's not just that the unrepentant sinner will die everlastingly, but that even now existence is a kind of death. People are spiritually dead, even even now but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Walt White was a pipe fitter for the Boston Naval Yard. It was a dirty job but Walt's mouth and mind were as filthy as his overalls. Foul blasphemous language just poured out of his mouth. He was driven by lust and materialism and pride. Um, Whether God existed or not, Walt didn't know and didn't care. He hadn't been in a church in years and and made fun of people who did go. His goals were to work hard, make a lot of money, and take care of his family and have a good time. But because he was an angry, malcontent who disliked people, he, he didn't really have any friends. His uncontrollable temper led him into violent fights with his wife, in which he would break dishes and destroy furniture. He had a bitter argument ongoing with a co worker who believed that Jesus was God. Well, one day, Walt was working in the chapel area of an aircraft carrier, and he saw a literature rack, and he, out of curiosity, just picked up a New Testament, and then the chaplain walked in. And behind him said, you can have that. And Walt was inclined to say, why on earth would I want this? But the words that came out of his mouth were, do you believe that Jesus is God? And the chaplain said, yes. Can you prove it? The chaplain showed him the Gospel of John and said, here, read this. And Walt went home and read the whole Gospel of John in one evening. Next day he saw the chaplain again and said, that didn't prove anything. And the chaplain says, "Well, what, what, uh, what, what do you think it said?" And Walt said, "You gotta believe to be saved." And the chaplain said, "Ah, oh, good. You, you got the message. Yeah, but it still doesn't prove that Jesus is God." So the chaplain showed him the Gospel of Matthew and said, "Here, read this." And Walt read Matthew, and he read Mark, and Luke, and Acts. In Romans, and one day on his lunch break, he looked up and said, All right, Lord, I believe. (laughs) What happened to Walt? Well, according to the gospel of new life in Christ, the gospel that Paul expounds on in Romans 5 through through 8, Walt became justified. In that moment that he believed and trusted the savior, his sins were forgiven, and in heaven's court, he was declared in the right, no longer guilty. That happened. But according to Romans eight, something else happened. The Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, took up residence in Walt's heart and began the process of changing him, making him more like Jesus. So uh, not long after his conversion, the whistle indicating that lunch was over blew, and as Walt stood up, his overalls caught on a sharp piece of metal and tore, and he swore, as usual. What was unusual is that this time he was horrified and wished that he could stuff those words back in his mouth. In his words, from that moment, My world turned upside down. The foul language stopped. He had an appetite for the things of God. He started studying the Bible with his wife. About once a week, somebody would come up to him and say, what's come over you? And he'd say, I discovered that I was a sinner bound for hell, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. He got baptized, led six of his seven children to the Lord. took a while for God to cure him of his pride, and it took a while for him to learn to really love people, but he did, and he made a lot of friends. In time, joy replaced his anger, and he puts it this way, The presence of Christ in my life has given me power over sin. I have peace, even in the midst of unpleasant circumstances. And our text says, The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. If it's not already clear, it becomes clear in verse 9 that Paul is contrasting believers and unbelievers. Those controlled by the sinful nature are not baby Christians or immature Christians. No. Listen to verse 9. You are not controlled by the Spirit. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, it's not that you're just a baby Christian or a backslidden Christian. You're not a Christian at all. You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a a Christian. And Paul, writing to a congregation of Christians, does not say, you know, you really ought to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says, you are controlled by the Spirit. Don't you know this? Aren't you aware that you're under new management? And I think a lot of Christians are somehow ignorant of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Kind of like the kids in the Sunday school class who were supposed to perform what they had been memorizing in class for their parents in the worship service. They were supposed to recite the Apostles' Creed. One kid got up and said, I believe in God the Father Almighty. The next kid said, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And then there was an embarrassing silence that dragged on until one of the kids piped up and said, well, the girl who believes in the Holy Spirit is not here today. (laughs) It's not as if the Holy Spirit is for some people, you know, maybe Pentecostals or, or Charismatics. You're not a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit's mentioned 19 times in this chapter. Nineteen times, signaling pretty clearly that the new life in Christ that we've been talking about for months is life in the Spirit. New life in Christ is life in the Spirit, under control of new management, the Holy Spirit of God. doesn't mean you'll never sin again. Paul does not take back what he said in Romans chapter 7 about his struggle with sin, and how wretched he feels when he blows it. None, uh, even though he really wants to obey God. He, he knows he doesn't always do it. And when he, when he fails and falls, feels wretched about it. And uh, we're in the same boat. We still struggle with temptation. Kind of like employees who forget that there's new management. And we try to live by the old fast food rules. Performing for a different manager. We don't want to sin. We want to please our Lord. And the ruling desire of our heart, if the Spirit of God dwells in us, the ruling desire of our heart is to please Him. And if, when you sin, you are not troubled by it, something's seriously wrong, Paul would say, you're probably not a Christian. If you can sin with impunity, that doesn't bother you. Only God knows the heart, but the evidence points in the direction of, you're you're not a Christian. But if on the other hand, like Paul in Romans chapter 7, you blow it and you feel wretched about it, that's because you're under new management. And you want to please your new master. And there is hope that you won't always be wretched. I didn't jot it down, but we sang a line this morning in the opening set about someday serving him with unsinning heart. Man, do I look forward to that. As long as we're in this body, we still struggle and fail And feel wretched, but, verse 10, if Christ is in you, your body is dead. Or maybe a different, better translation is your body is subject to death because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Or perhaps a more accurate translation is that the Spirit, capital S, gives life because of righteousness. This is a difficult verse to translate, but the gist of it is clear that the life transforming work of the Holy Spirit begins on the inside but one day includes the whole person including the body so that these eyes will never again look at what they ought not look at. These hands will never again do what they ought not do. These feet will never again take us where we ought not go. Our sexuality will never again rebel against God's standards. Our emotions will never again make us cranky and irritable and whiny. Our resurrection bodies will be perfect. And that will be heaven. Father, we look forward to it. Thank you for the down payment of the spirit. That's clear in the word. That we don't have to wait until heaven to get anything good from you. You've already started that work. How we long to be conformed to the likeness of Christ and to not have to wait for any progress in that area until the return of the King. We want day by day to learn more and more, better and better what you expect of us from your word and to experience the empowerment of your spirit to make us like Jesus, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Amen.